and welcome back to Kidman Talk as I continue this new series of doing Kidman Talk conversations with uh, just awesome children's pastors. Uh, I'm just so blessed to have some great friends in ministry and we always are talking Kidman and I thought, well, duh, I ought to just have some conversations and let um, my listeners benefit from those. Today we've got a really neat guy. We are new friends. We just met in the last few years and when I met him, I'm like, where where has he been, man? We should have been friends uh, years ago. His name is Phil Hun, and um, he's a former children's pastor, gospel magician. He writes curriculum, all around great guy. And I'm so excited to be uh, joining him here today on our 95th Kidman Talk podcast. So I hope that you will enjoy this. We're going to be talking about something that's really we're both passionate about, and that is ministry by kids not just ministry to kids. You know, there's so much out there about ways to minister to kids, and of course, that's what we're in the business of doing. But Jesus called us to go and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, and that includes kids. So that's our topic for today, and I hope it will be challenging you as Philip and I talk Kidman. Well, Philip, we met at, I think, the Children's Pastors Conference, right? Uh, that was one of the places where we met. That was a reunion. Where did we initially meet? That was a reunion. The, the first time uh, we met was way, way back in Chicago days. Um, wow. I went to a Kid U. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, and, the, and, and some yahoo up with, uh, with like hamster tunnels through his kids church stage was telling me about how he's got a a, a kids crew of uh, junior leaders in his in his church that does the works of the ministry and uh, I don't know where he got that idea but uh, it seems to work Oh, that's awesome. I forgot that. That's right. We did Kid U's, Kid Elge University. We did 15 of those over a 10-year period and did them in three different states and then when I left full-time children's ministry, boy, it got really hard to find a host um, because when it was my church, you know, we had the use of the facilities and equipment for free. Mm-hmm. And so we did them for, I think, two more years. Uh, but boy, after getting booted from a place two weeks before the event, because they were going to, you know, redo the parking lot. Oh, sorry, you can't use our church. And, and uh, mm-hmm. it became challenging. So we're going to online training. And that's that's what this is. And, uh, you know, the reach, reach more greater. people and it costs less money. Exactly. And uh, but I do love conferences. That, well, that's where we've been able to re- reconnect. Um, you helped out at a Northwest Ministry Conference in our booth. And um, but folks, this is a guy that uh, I think we were separated at birth. I mean, when he started telling me his life story and his history and his humor, I'm like, He's either copying me or we came out of the same mold. <laughs> and I know you're not copying <laughs> me. Uh, I loved your humor. In fact, I'll link, if I can find it in the show notes, your little object lesson you did with the uh, sucker at the Northwest Ministry oh. Conference. Uh, Stanley <laughs> brought it. He's actually my guest on the next podcast. And uh, and then you just added more puns and, and everything, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So tell us briefly a little bit about yourself, uh, family, what you do in ministry so that people know who is this guy? Besides having a cool name, it sounds like Han Solo, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, my uh, my life has been about children's ministry. I grew up in a children's pastor's home, and uh, my dad was a, a children's pastor at the same church for twenty six years, and then later stayed on further at that church as as a senior associate pastor. But I grew up in children's ministry. I learned my first magic trick when I was five years old. Wow. Uh, 
I was doing puppetry on television with my dad in, uh, uh, must have been second grade, maybe third grade. Fantastic. And so I've always been in, in some way involved in his ministry, if, if not, nothing else than watching it as he did it. Uh, we used to do camps and crusades and stuff together. Me and my brother would lead worship and do costume characters and puppets, and, and uh, he would kind of do the closing sermons. And so we were highly involved in a lot of it, including the planning process for a lot of those. So I've been in children's ministry all my life. And then I went off to Bible college, uh, met my wife, got married, uh, learned children's ministry in, in a college, Bible college setting, and then been a children's pastor for, uh, depending on how you define children's pastor, for 13 <laughs> to 15 years. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. And then uh, you recently took a break uh, from full-time children's ministry, and you've been focusing on writing some curriculum, uh, Sourcebox yeah. Productions. We'll talk about that at the end, um, but that's exciting, And uh, but you're also open to um, go, get, getting back into children's pastor ministry. I know I just got a reference call for you, so um, I'll yeah. just have to tell it, them to watch it. It's in the, the card. We're somewhere, we're somewhere, we're going to be moving sometime soon to somewhere. We cool. don't know yet. Cool. Well, you don't know, but God does, and we take comfort comfort in that. Well, you know, that's a great segue. You and I both are living proof that Getting kids involved in ministry young creates a lifestyle of serving God. Now, that can mm-hmm. end up being professional ministry. We're both children's pastors. I've got this whole kidology thing, which I always attribute to my mom. But even if they don't go into professional children's ministry, they become Christians who serve. You know, I often like to joke that, you know, we complain about how difficult it is to recruit. That's why every interview I'm asking at the end for a recruiting tip. And Philip's mm-hmm. got a great one, so you have to hang on for that. Um, but part of my contention is that we train Christians from the youngest age that church is a place you come and sit and watch. And then we wonder why when they're older, we're twisting their arm to serve. Whereas if we train young Christians that church is a place you come and serve, then that just becomes a part of their DNA as a Christian. Even if they don't go into professional ministry, they become a mom and a dad. They go to church, and as soon as they're part of the body, their question is, where can I serve? And it may not be kids' ministry. They may be an usher. They may work in hospitality or celebrate recovery. Yeah, my brother, my brother's a good example of that because my brother was uh, didn't go into children's ministry, but he was just as active in children's ministry as I was growing up. Um, but he decided to go into music ministry, and he serves at his church in Texas you know, on the worship team, and and uh, he's been involved heavily in youth groups uh, throughout the years at the yeah. churches he's attended. And he's yeah, my sister would be the same thing. My sister's in Massachusetts, and she's the super volunteer that any church would be lucky to have. Uh, she's never made a dime doing it in the church, uh, unless I'm forgetting uh, a season. Um, but yeah, she's yeah. a wanna leader in Sunday school and uh, just really involved. I was lucky in Chicago to have her at my church, uh, and man, I felt like I was cheating, you know, having someone so <laughs> gifted on, on my, my brother's phone. a graphic designer for churches uh, professionally. So he may not be a pastor, but he's still in professional yeah. ministry if you count graphic design. Absolutely, and so and so that's the that's the point. You know, I remember. Um, and I've shared the story many times, so I'll give the Reader's Digest version. But, you know, I saw Barney Kennard as a 10-year-old. He's our head coach now with Kidology Coaching. And at the end of that week, he did this Barney's Barrel thing. Um, I was already saved. I didn't need to rededicate my life. I was a boy, so I was always in trouble, but I wasn't backsliding or whatever. <laughs> so when he gave his final challenge, um, I just prayed in my childish way, 
I just want to do that, whatever, what he does. I think that's so fun. And when I shared that with my mom, you know, I think a lot of good moms would say, oh, that's wonderful, Carl. You'd be good at that. But not my mom. She was the volunteer Sunday school lady. I don't even know if she had a title. If she did, she'd be CE director or Sunday school coordinator or whatever. <laughs> Titles don't matter. And she said, that's wonderful. You start next Wednesday. And I was like, ah, what do you mean next Wednesday? She said, and so I started doing a puppet. Uh, we named him Harry Jinkle because our commander's name was Jerry Hinkle. So we switched the first letters. That was my dad's idea. And uh, I started doing gospel magic tricks like you did. And um, I kind of never quit. It was actually nice eventually to have someone actually give you a paycheck um, to do this. I know many of my listeners are bivocational or volunteer. So whether you're paid or not, it's a blessing to make a living at this. But it's a calling. And we've got to train kids um, to do this. So well, you've already shared kind of how you got into kids ministry and, and I did. Um, so how did that first kids crew, whatever you called it, look like for you? I know when I first was challenged, um, there was a lady in my church and she they did a little article for the church paper. So she interviewed me and she heard my story. And then not as part of the article, fortunately, but she privately just reprimanded me. She said, Carl, the reason you're so good with teaching kids is that you started as a kid. So you know their language, you like their stuff. And um, and that's actually where kidology, the study of kids, came from. Because she said to me, you need to help other adults do that. Um, and so she challenged me to you know start training adults to teach that way. But she also said, you know, you come in with your big red box and you wow the kids with your puppet and your magic and your juggling, but it's all you. And so the next Sunday, yeah. I said, how many of you kids would like to, you know, help in kids' church? And every hand went up. I was like, okay, I need to rephrase that. Uh, I meant to say <laughs> how many fifth and sixth graders. And so all the first through fourth hands went down with, with complaint. And uh, I honestly didn't know what they could do. I passed a clipboard, got their names. And my girlfriend, who's now my wife, I was like, what can they do? So, you know, they were ushers and they were greeters. And then I'm so embarrassed. In fact, I should have had them here for the podcast video. Um, maybe I'll put a picture in the show notes. But I, I saved them because I made these posters that my kids crew would walk across the stage, you know, the old style. Because there wasn't <laughs> there wasn't even PowerPoint then. There was overheads. And they would yeah. go, object lesson and puppet show. And, and they basically introduced what I was going to do. <laughs> They yeah, I always share that. <laughs> yeah, I share. I'm embarrassed about it now, but that's just where I was at. And then every year, oh, they could do the puppets. Oh, they could do an object lesson. They could lead a game, and it just kept growing and growing. Uh, how did that look like for you in the early stages um, when when you when you got that aha moment? You know, to to get <laughs> let the kids do ministry. Well, I had been doing these things since I was five years old, so I was under the impression that there was nothing that the nothing that the uh, volunteer adult teachers could, you know, could do that the kids couldn't also do. So I would put costume characters, I would put costumes on the kids, have them do a costume character. Yeah. I would have uh, have them do puppets. I would have them teach object lessons, take up the offering. Um, the only thing I think I didn't have them do was the uh, the uh, closing sermon. Yeah. But. Uh, but for the most part, it was anything that they can do. And, and as I continued to progress throughout the years, I, I realized that there needs to be some training involved. And so the more I progressed, it wasn't the more 
I didn't I didn't add different new things that they would be able to do on stage or backstage. So you were I did ahead more of me, basically training. Yeah. Well, you some you were the one that gave me the idea, and uh, so you started where you left off and built further from there. And so it was it was a good place to start. Fantastic. So training training became the more more growth area for me than. Uh, and the, so did, a number you, of things they could do. So how do you train kids? I mean, originally you were just kind of either pulling them out of the audience or maybe planning ahead of time, hey, will you help me with this? How did you formalize that? I know at Kid U, uh, which I just learned and remembered that uh, you were challenged to kind of start a KC crew or Kitchener mm-hmm. crew or something. Um, but what, it, what did that look like when you said, okay, I need to start training them? How did you do that? Well, from the beginning, I always, I always made it a, a formal process, uh, as if they were signing up to become a volunteer. You know, we have our formal processes for volunteers. You sign a commitment, you read the policy manual, how much yeah. you understand, you run a background check. And so people have some certain expectations that, okay, I'm signing up for something that I can't just show up for and not show up for. This is a, this is a thing I've got to do. And uh, so I, I created a similar process for the kids, and I've always done that, uh, They where they at least read the expectations. You know, you will be present yeah. most Sundays. If you aren't going to be here, you let me know and, yeah. and uh, what types of things that they could do. And I also, on that application, ask them questions about what they enjoy doing. Are you a, I like to be in front of people type of a person, or no, I'd rather be in the background serving. And, you know, I'm interested in puppets. I'm interested in drama. I'm interested in running the soundboard. You know, so there's different things that they can do, but I let them choose what was within their comfort zone, at least initially. I would yeah. always give them one step further than their comfort oh, yeah, zone to course. challenge them. But yeah, I always made it a formal process so that they you know, knew what they were getting into, and the parents too knew. Yeah, what and, and you're training them on mature concepts like communicating when you're going to be gone. I mean, drives yeah. us nuts on a Sunday morning when the second grade teacher's just not there, and we're like... How hard is it to text me? Obviously, it's a volunteer position. We understand life happens, but man, you, now we're training kids. At, yeah. Oh, mom, I can't be there. You know, and this application process, you know, when, every now and then when I introduce that in a workshop, people are like shocked, but it's powerful because uh, I had one boy and my references, they had to get a reference from a parent just so I knew the parents were involved, a reference from a Christian leader. And it couldn't be me. How are you doing, Pastor Carl? No, it had to be a Sunday school teacher, another pastor, could be a previous church, um, and then just a, a godly leader. Um, but they had to be adult references. Well, I had this one boy, I won't say his name, um, but I was shocked to get a bad reference. His Sunday school teacher, who was a phenomenal teacher, uh, Rick Branstetter, he posts stuff on Kidology, one of my best teachers ever. And he, he put on there, Carl, I'm not sure you you know, this boy's uh, ready for this. And, and I was thinking, how could that be? And, um, so I talked to the boy and I said, you know, Rick, um, Rick, uh, was concerned about you serving in the kids crew and his, he sunk. And, uh, and then he started justifying his behavior and he was basically being a goof off and a class clown. And, and he was like, well, you know, I like you better than Rick. And, and, uh, which was silly because Rick was a great teacher, but I said, you know, does our behavior, dictated by what we think of the teacher or is our behavior dictated on what God expects of us? And, um, and he got it. And I said, well, here's, what I want you to do. I said, uh, your application's on hold. I have, you have, you've done everything, but I want you to wait six weeks and I want you to ask Rick for a reference again. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and just, you need to be in Rick's class, you know, what, what you know you should be. 
Well, three weeks later, I get a call from Rick going, hey, I I take back my reference. This kid, I almost <laughs> said his name, this kid's ready uh, to serve. And he ended up being one of my one of my best crew kids. But, you know, that was a learning experience that how I behave over here can impact my life over here. That who I am as a person will affect my opportunities you know, and it was, it was powerful. And there's many times like that. Um, that one's unique in that he actually said, I don't think so. But, um, kids going, Oh, I got to ask that person, you know, so formalizing. Yeah, and that's it, also, it, it's powerful. That, that's, that's also part of the process that there are certain expectations that they have to maintain yeah. in order to remain in leadership. And one of those is to read your Bible and pray every day. And I would actually collect. Bible reading calendars from them signed wow. off by their parents that they actually read their Bible and pray every day. Now we're talking about discipling them in their home life as well as their, their church life. And uh, it also touches on another topic that I think is, is just as relevant in this area. And that's the fifth and sixth graders interest in remaining in kids church. Cause a yeah. lot of the fourth or fifth or sixth graders, they're sitting in the back row, rolling their eyes at the puppet that they've seen since they were in kindergarten and thinking, Oh, but I'm too old for this. I wish I was in youth group now. Yeah, and a lot of those kids just need that that sense of that sense of status, that sense of importance. That and then when you make it a formal process to sign up for this thing, and not everybody gets in, and if you don't maintain a certain status, you don't get to remain in this yeah. in this leadership role, and you give oh, them authority absolutely. over the other kids. Boy, they they feel ten feet tall walking into that church. Like I'm one of the leaders, and they want to stay, they want to be involved. And then you hand the youth pastor a bunch of actively engaged uh, volunteer ministers mm -hmm. and he's thrilled to no end and he continues that process it's a, it's a good partnership man you touched on a couple of things one i hear you saying that we're not just giving them a platform for ministry but we're investing in their character as a christian you know it's easy to, to want the limelight you know kids want to be on stage they get to be popular they get to you know get the the applause but we're saying it's not just what you do on stage it's who you are at home and I think mm -hmm. that's powerful because even as adults, pastors can be the worst. If you look at the stats, and I know even from seasons in my own life, we can be great on stage doing the work of the ministry while our personal walk with God and our, even our marriages and our family, they could be suffering. And so we're early on saying, hey, they both are important. Um, the fifth and sixth grade thing, I want to circle back to that. Um, but I, the, the training leaders, uh, at my church in Chicago, the, our youth pastor was over junior high and senior high. Um, and he, he did a phenomenal job with high school. That's where he was hands on and he had ministry leaders and the kids were, but the junior high, he pretty much delegated to some volunteers who were, who were really good. Um, that's why he could just focus on high school and they were good teachers, but they didn't have the student leadership component. And, uh, yeah. what happened after I started at that church, was that these kids would finish, you know, four, fifth, or sixth grade leadership. And by the end, they're like running the kids' church. They would go to junior high and they started asking the leaders, what do I do? Where do I serve? Do you have a leadership team? And there actually was a little bit of frustration and tension because there wasn't. And, you know, I'm not criticizing yeah. the ministry. They had a great ministry to the kids, but they ended up having to realize we got to put these kids to work. And, um, and so the youth pastor, he loved it because now instead of starting student leadership in, as a freshman, where he kind of started from scratch and had to do some yeah. education, now he was inheriting these leaders from junior high who were like, like, let's do it. 
and ready for the next thing in uh, in their ministry life. And uh, so my topic with Josh uh, two podcasts ago was leading up. We were talking right. about with the senior pastor. Well, this is you can have an impact on the youth ministry by raising the bar in children's ministry. Now the bar is here. They can't go to youth group and have a drop, <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, hopefully no youth pastor um, gets mad, but it does. It raises the bar of the whole youth ministry, youth as in all um, kids. Um, that's well, most of those leaders I had in my kids' church were leaders in the youth group, and my youth pastor loved them. There is one more thing, though, I wanted to point out that you taught me at that seminar so many years ago. I was probably 15 years ago. But uh, the uh, the seminar, you you mentioned that you have relationships with those kids. Yeah. And now it's almost like a small group where you meet with them once a month or meet with them peri- periodically. And you have like an hour and a half where you've got not, not your one fish in a large pond that I'm teaching the whole room. You're like teaching a small group of kids and it's like a cell group or something where you're yeah. actually investing and pouring into them relationally. And that buys you. That puts money in the bank where now they'll do anything for you. When you have that relationship with them, even if it's just doing something fun, yeah. uh, but you can pour out ministry training, you can pour out discipleship in their personal lives, and you can just have fun with them, and that buys you a lot of credit when, when you ask them to do something difficult. Well, look at the model of Jesus. I mean, I, I like to joke Jesus was the first gospel magician because uh, he just had nothing up his sleeve because he had the power of God because he, he is God. But he did the shows. I mean, he did the, 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 you know, 12 baskets left over and feeds 5,000, you know, from, I like to see a magician try to pull that one off. You know, he turned water into wine. He, he did the Sermon on the Mount where it was so crowded he had to get out in the boat, you know, just because he was being pressed by people. But where did he focus the most of his time? And it was in those disciples. And I tell you what, most of the followers of Christ, they turned and ran when things got hard. Um, when Jesus now wasn't a celebrity and they were, the, the religious leaders were wanting to put him to death, all of a sudden it was very lonely and the, the crowds dispersed. But his disciples are actually the ones that turned the world upside down. They're the ones that mm-hmm. got, um, went through persecution, uh, many of them dying uh, as martyrs. Uh, but the church exploded because of 12 guys that he poured into. Not yeah, thousands. Jesus said, "You will, you will do greater things than these," and they exceeded what they exceeded his impact. And Absolutely. my dad's a good example of that. He said, "I'm pouring into my sons, and then they grew up, and and I do things more elaborately and and wider reach than my dad did." That's not because I'm a better children's pastor; it's because I started earlier than he did. Yeah, yeah, and so we're we we can get on stage and teach in front of all of our kids, whether that's 40 kids or you're at a big church and you've got a thousand kids, but the, what's going to impact your ministry more are those kids. And I can't tell you how many of my crew kids have gone on to Bible college, have gone into ministry. But again, ministry is not the goal. It's a culture of, right. of service because most of them are going to become moms and dads, but I know they're going to be involved in their Church, you know, my mom, um, and I don't mean this to sound like a sad story, but my mom passed away in 1996, right about the time that Kidology was in its infancy. I started Kidology in 1994, um, right before Google and eBay and PayPal and all them went, hey, we should do that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. But, um, but one of the things my mom shared with me at the end of her life, kind of the, those deathbed, you know, um, passing out of a blessing, is she told me when she was a young girl... She felt God had called her to evangelize children globally. 
And so, and she thought she was going to be a missionary to China and reach the kids there. And, um, and she said, then she said, then I met your dad and I became a pastor's wife. And she said, I've never regretted that decision. I've loved, you know, being a part of your dad's ministry. But she said, but I always had this little nagging sense that I didn't get to do that childhood dream of impacting kids around the world. And then she shared with me that David wanted to build the temple. And he was passionate about it. And God said, no, I'm going to build the temple through your son. And she said, I just want you to know, as I get prepared to meet the Lord, that I think you're Solomon. You're not as wise as him, of course, but uh, but you're <laughs> going to fulfill that. you know. And, and I think about it, God gave her a calling as a young girl that she felt she needed to impact the globe for kids. And God did answer that prayer. And what he did is gave her this hyper-creative ADHD boy to pour into. And then I think, you know, so my whole ministry, whatever influence or sphere God's given me, I, I feel like, man, that's that's my mom's, you know, because she spent hours coaching me and training me and uh, and pouring into me. Same thing that, that your dad did. And, um, and so it makes me think, okay, how do I multiply my ministry? It's through the kids that I pour into because it's not about our ministry or our reach. It's about what God's called us to do. Um, but boy, to, to have it just stop when we die. No, we want it to well, get, that's continue the great commission. on. That's the great commission in a nutshell. It's to go out and make disciples, not make converts. And every minister should be doing that regardless of what age they speak to. I mean, the, the ministry to the kids, I think the key, the key component here is that the ministry to the kids is no different than the ministry to the adults. Amen. It requires small group ministry relationships. It requires ministry training. It requires volunteer. It requires giving. And there's so many things that go into discipling someone to be a mature Christian and a multiplying Christian that duplicates themselves mm-hmm. in discipling others. And we're always trying to reach out to people to extend our impact through them into the wider world. And uh, the, the point is that children's ministry is no different. Anything that you teach to adults, you should be able to teach to the kids at, at, yeah. at their level. Absolutely. You know, I think part of the Great Commission is missed in a lot of churches. I, I see this wonderful, great emphasis on reaching the lost and doing what we need to do culturally and whatever. But often churches forget the second half of the Great Commission is to train them to um, go into all the world, you know, reach the gospel, and then teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's Christian education. Yeah. And uh, and so there's a part of me that's frustrated right now that there's a lot of evangelism going on and a lot of great kids ministry. I've toyed with writing a book. I won't give away the title, but I'm working on an ebook idea. And the subtitle is The Rise of Kidmen, The Demise of Christian Education. Because it's like we're so much into this outreach that we're not doing the the, the solid education um, because yeah. we're, we're missing that. And I, I don't want to go off that rabbit trail too far. But let me loop it back to these fifth and sixth graders because um, anytime I'm invited to speak somewhere, the number one thing they say is, um, you know, we need help with discipline or fifth and sixth graders. And so many times I've said, you want to solve your fifth and sixth grade, like you described, back row, eyes rolling, um, get them in leadership. Because now, like I've always said, um, I've always, you know, said that people uh, could take this idea. I always said my kids' church was for first through fourth grade, fifth and sixth are welcome. And the reason I've done that is if I've needed to boot them out, 
I'm not because they just won't behave or they're a distraction. I'm really not kicking them out of a program um, that they're that they're supposed to be in. I can go to the parents yeah. and say, you know, this is really for first or fourth grade. The fifth and sixth graders are welcome if you don't think they're ready for big church yet. But your son has demonstrated by his behavior that he's ready for big church. This is this is too young <laughs> for him, you know. So you you can compliment them as you kind of say, you know what, um, you you need to not be in here. Um, but the flip side of that is it's saying this isn't really for you. This is for the kids, the younger kids. And so now you can view those younger kids as your ministry focus. And and I love telling the fifth and sixth graders in our first crew meeting, you know, I know you think I'm cool and you like my magic and my puppets and stuff, but you need to know the young kids, they don't look up to me. They like me. But you know who they look up to? You. Because you're cool. They're not thinking, I could be like Pastor Carl someday because Carl, Pastor Carl's old. They don't want to grow yeah. up. But they look at a fifth and sixth grader <laughs> And they know they're going to be you someday. So if you're rolling your eyes or you're, you know, zoning out on your phone or, you know, not behaving, they're... Yeah, it's that positive peer pressure kind of trickles down. You are you are modeling what a mature Christian is because to them, a fifth and sixth grader is like, cool. High schoolers are just weird because they start dating and stuff. So really, that fifth <laughs> and sixth grade, like you're the epitome of what these young kids look up to. So they need to see you doing the motions and singing and laughing and participating and serving. And when they kind of view it that way, you know, I'll tell them, you know, I'm not listening to these songs in my car during the week. I've got the message on or K-Love, you know. Yeah. Um, we're doing songs. I'm doing these songs for the kids. So it's not about whether you think the song's cool. And I'm all for using cool songs and upbeat and getting hip and stuff like that. Um, but... I often hear target the fifth and sixth graders so you don't lose them. But I, I don't agree with that necessarily. I, I feel like we need to target the younger kids and then train our older kids to, to understand that they're, they're modeling and, and not that you don't target them, but I don't, I don't specifically target them at the expense of first through fourth. I'd rather target the younger kids and train mm-hmm. the older kids um, to serve. And it makes such a huge difference. Yeah, it changes it changes the dynamic of the room depending on who you're aiming for. If your target is the older kids, uh, I think if you aim at the older kids, the younger kids can usually uh, reach up a little easier than the older kids can reach down. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, if they're not active in ministry, then the, then uh, or if they're active in ministry, then that's not necessary. If they're active in ministry, then they feel like the, the ministry to them is more the discipleship of training them to be a leader than it is. Here's what the meaning of the Bible story is. Yeah, and uh, so well, and I do believe in raising ministry. the bar. You know, I'm not saying that we dumb down the lessons. Um, oh, I think you yeah, do no. raise the bar <laughs> in the content um, because I think I mean I teach Hebrew and Greek words in kids' church, and I'll I love saying you know I'm not really supposed to teach you this because I was you know I didn't learn this till <laughs> Bible college. Your parents probably don't even know this. They perk up. And uh, so they go oh, home, yeah. and I love teaching them theology, theology and stuff. Um, but yeah, but the point is, see themselves as 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 ministry. So how does that look practically for you when you've had a kids crew? Um, we can call them different things. I know you said you had junior leaders. Uh, I had outpost mm-hmm. crew at my last church because kids church was called the outpost. Um, but how often did you meet with them? What did that look like? Well, I seem to land on, and it, and it varied from church to church, depending yeah. on the church that I was going to and what their schedule and what the commuters were, you know, how, how open the parents' schedules were and things exactly. like that. But it seemed to land on, um, generally, I would meet with them once uh, a month, 
and train them in something. About half the time it was more personal discipleship, like here's how you study your Bible. I mean, a lot of kids just don't know how to read their Bible and understand it and apply it. Um, or here's how to here's uh, how to pray, and here's how to have a conversation with God throughout your day. Uh, but a lot of the time it was, let's do puppets this month. Let's everybody hold a puppet. Let's teach you how to do a skit. Let's practice it, and then let's perform it next Sunday. Or or we'd, we'd teach them how to use the soundboard and what it actually looks like to turn a microphone on and off. And when yeah. it's feeding back, here's how you turn it down. And So we would train them practically in ministry. But then on Sundays, they would wear their name badge just the way that the adults do. We would introduce all of the adult leaders so that everybody remembered who the adult leaders' names were. And then we would introduce all the kid leaders. If you're junior leaders, if they ask you to do something, they have the same authority we do. You have to obey them. Yeah. And boy, did that make those fifth graders feel really special. And uh, then about one lesson per week was done by one of the junior leaders. They were the leading uh, worship leaders raising their hand, leading the worship on stage with the primary worship leader. Awesome. Uh, those who are on the schedule running the soundboard. So the, 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 the dynamic of the room was about 50% adult volunteer led and about 50% uh, older kid led. And so practically speaking, I would assign them the same way I would assign the adult leaders. I'd write them into the schedule, I'd email them the lesson, and they would be expected to have it prepared by the following week. Yeah, it's phenomenal. You know, when, when I started at the last church I was at, um, you know, I had actual worship service schedules, you know, with the time, you know, what it was going to yeah. be, who it was, what slides or sound effects. And uh, I remember at one point, uh, even the worship pastor, when he saw that going, this is for kids church? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we I treat it the same way. Um, it, it makes such a huge difference. I found that uh, like a monthly meeting is great. I love you did some training. Um, we had a pro-con game that I used to do where you kind of go and they'd give some feedback and evaluation. Um, that was really cool. Uh, by the way, um, I'll link this in the show notes, but the Kids Church Cookbook uh, that I wrote during that season that I was out of ministry, my wife said, you need to write everything you've learned. And uh, so it's, it's um, well, I'm trying to remember, it's almost 250 pages. It's seven installments, but the sixth installment is called The Kitchen Crew, and it's all about kids' crew. And I have my application in there. I have some of these games we did, some of the point systems we used. And just like you said, every ministry was different. So never feel like you have to do it exactly the way I spell it out there. Yeah. Because I always had to, I did individual point systems. Sometimes I did group points where everyone rose and fall and got rewarded. And so the, the, you know, they were always working on, Hey, if you do that, you're, you're hurting us all, you know? Um, and then I vacillated between, uh, Friday, Friday after school weekly and Thursday. I did Fridays for years and then I found out I had to, do all the great ideas we came up with on Friday, on Saturday. And so I started doing Thursday evening rehearsals. So I had a work day um, for whatever crazy idea. But we we would film videos, practice puppet scripts. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it was, it yeah, was we would just... We would practice after church on Sunday, one, the first Sunday of the month. And so the, the kids were already there. They would just stay there. We'd feed them a little bit of a lunch, or they'd pack a lunch if they had allergies. And then we'd just let their parents pick them up late. Yeah, and I, toward the end of the second half of the year... I would actually have them write and design an entire service. And, uh, oh, yeah, I and, and we would uh, come up with, you know, I would talk about, all right, what do you think kids today need to learn? And, uh, and they might bring up peer pressure. And, uh, and it's funny because one time I remember trying to steer them. Um, 
and and they would surprise me by going a totally different way and it would be better than mm-hmm. I kind of thought you know I need to actually kind of spoon feed this to them but like I was going to do a series on Daniel one time and I and I just took them hey I'm going to do a series on Daniel it's an incredible story I want to get past that the lion in the den um that you learned you know in, in the preschool room with the lion puppet and um they actually came up with uh that peer pressure was oh no that was the topic they came up with Daniel and I had never thought of Daniel in the terms of peer pressure, but, you know, it was, that's what it was. It was saying, you need to bow like we do, and you need to pray like we do, um, and, uh, or do it secretly, but he left his window open. And so when I, we always have a theme of the month, and so we're talking about the, I said, well, what was the characteristic that kept him following God? And they said, they came up with faith. You know, he was trusting God no matter what. And so I said, okay, what outside of the church and the Bible is faith. And I had a couple ideas in the back of my mind to kind of rescue them. And one of the kids goes, I think Daniel would have been a, a, a skydiver if he'd lived today. And I'm like, <laughs> really? Why? And they said, well, nothing's greater faith than to step out of an airplane of your own free will, trusting that that parachute yeah. is going to save you. And he said, when you step out on faith, he goes, isn't that what we call it? Stepping out on faith? Um, trusting that God's going to save us. And I was like, yeah, that, it was so good. So whole... I went, of course, I'm the kids pastor, so I've got the budget. I bought a giant parachute, <laughs> and we did parachute game. In fact, this whole series is on Kidology, and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes if I remember. If I don't, just Facebook me. Hey, we want the parachute unit. But that whole concept <laughs> came out of training kids to identify a need a place in the Bible that addresses it, and then a fun way to um, teach it, you know? With the well, that has a whole new dynamic, though, because you were not only training the kids in ministry, they were giving positive and useful feedback. They were contributing it. And it's not, it's not that we are training leaders who are junior. We are leading younger leaders who are just as much leaders, have the same Holy Spirit that, that was in Peter. Wait, I thought that, they had you know, they don't Holy, get a junior, Spirit, Holy junior. Spirit. Don't they have Holy Spirit Junior? <laughs> no, no, the Holy Spirit is still as big as he was back in the day, <laughs> regardless of how tall you are or how old you are. But Amen. they were contributing something useful, and that's a model that I got that, that I experienced in uh, Dick Gruber's kids' church. I tried a, 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 I just had a bare glimpse of Dick Gruber's ministry when he was teaching in uh, Minnesota, and he did this great monthly meeting with his leaders where he would just get their feedback. What object? What topic should we teach? How should we teach that? Who wants to teach that object lesson? And when they were contributing, first of all, it gave him more stuff to work with because he didn't have to be the only one creating everything. But second of all, he got a whole lot of great ideas. And if yeah. you're a kidologist trying to speak the kid's language, who speaks the kid's language better than a kid? Yeah. So, and, I, uh, and I'm often reminding people, I don't productive. call myself the kidologist as a title of expert or guru or, you know, Kidman Pro. The whole kidologist came from, I always want to be learning and always be a student of kids and their culture. And so, uh, so I'm always telling you, you can be a kidologist too. It's a mindset that it's kid centric, yeah. kid focused and within the world of kids. And it's so powerful. Um, one thing that you mentioned before we hit record, um, that I'd love you to talk about is that you took this kids crew and discipling and training kids in ministry outside of children's church, which is our, our laboratory. Um, mm-hmm. but you actually did, did something pretty cool. Yeah, we used to do missions trips. That's exactly it. Talk about that. Yeah, we uh, 
one of the churches I, I was at had a heavy emphasis on missions trips and uh, short-term missions trips. And uh, the adults would go uh, uh, down to South America, and some of the youth did that. But they, they, the youth did uh, some more local outreach stuff. And I, and I thought, you know, why not do a children's ministry, uh, a, a kids' church um, missions trip? And so wow. we took them up to a, a Native American reservation in uh, Minnesota. We took them out to the downtown uh, dilapidated Detroit, Michigan um, so what we did, the model that we used was I would, I would have conversations with the local pastor that I'd be working with and find out, first of all, what service needs do you have? Um, you need something repainted, you need something cleaned up, do you need something cleaned out? Uh, do you want to do something service oriented in your community? And that's basically just show up, do what you're told, do it with a smile. Yeah. Uh, but then we would also do some sort of an outreach with whatever local ministry we're working with. Uh, one of them it was a ministry within the church to draw people in. One of them was a ministry out in a park where they would do a show. But in any case, I would train all the kids in puppetry. I would train all the kids in object lessons. I would train all the kids in magic tricks. I would train all the kids in how to speak publicly. And we would uh, costume characters. And then we would decide who was most comfortable with each of those. And I signed, this is your object lesson. You're going to own it. You're going to practice it. We're going to rehearse it. And when we get there, you're going to do it in front of, uh, you know, a park full of children. And so each one of those, we all did a song together, a puppet song. And we all, and I'd give one kid the magic trick and I'd That's give the kid fantastic. the character. And so we'd all do that in front of everybody. And then we'd come back to the church and serve them. So we'd do that for, uh, you know, five to seven yeah, and days. Yeah, what a radical idea of a mission trip with kids. And obviously, you know, you have safety concerns and things like that. Doing domestic, doing mm-hmm. something local. Uh, parents, if they're nervous, say, hey, well, just be a volunteer then, you know, and uh, and be a part of it. You know, when I was a high schooler, my dad was the pastor, and he came to a new church. And the youth group, they were going off on mission trips to Fiji Islands and all these places. But my dad made this observation that even some of these kids going on mission trips, they weren't really on fire for God. It was kind of like an opportunity to huh. go travel. And, um, and so yeah. he, impl- he, he canceled all high school mission trips. And I was like, no, but he implemented a new strategy. And, um, and he said the great commission is to serve in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And he said, so if you want to go to ends of the earth, you first have to serve in Jerusalem. That's here at church. So <laughs> you need to, you need to roll up your sleeves and, 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 and we came up with all kinds of things they could do from cleaning to folding bulletins. You know, if they didn't have teaching ability, then you serve in Judea. And he said, that's our community. And so we did, we had to go out and pick up litter and, and rake old ladies lawns and, and things like that. Then you could go to Samaria. And I remember, um, you know, and I was a freshman going, I want to go on a mission trip. But then I had to do a, a VBS in a Hispanic church in downtown Chicago. <laughs> that was my Samaria. And then finally by my senior year, I finally qualified, uh, to go on an overseas mission trip. And I did go to Honduras. Um, but, uh, but that model I thought was so powerful because it weeded out the kids. Cause if you're not willing to serve at church, you got no business going to the Fiji islands. You know, if you're not willing yeah. to serve your community where there's no glory, there's no glamor, you don't get to come back wearing a skirt, you know, and, uh, and the native wear and all that. Um, and it, it, it was powerful. Um, and it makes such a, a huge difference in my life and in those kids' lives. Um, but it, it trains them in, in servanthood, 
You know, it's so yeah, powerful. I, 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 they, they served in kids' church, and they served in our local outreaches from the church, and then we took them to Detroit and Minnesota and all that jazz. I tried to do a mission trip to Peru. Uh, you know, I, 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 we're going to downtown, you know, crime-ridden Detroit, Michigan, and they're like, yeah, 10 kids, 12 kids sign up. And then we, and I say, now we're going to go down to Peru. And then, and then it's... <laughs> yeah. The parents are like, no, out of the country is too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. And, you know, that's the parents' uh, prerogative, but, uh, but kudos to you yeah. for, for having that. I'll try it again someday, and I'll get I'll get, I'll get, get them there. <laughs> cool deal. Well, folks, uh, I want to wrap up with Philip with some of my rapid questions that I always do at the end. Um, but, Philip, I also want to make sure you know about his um, company he started. It's in its infancy. It's called uh, uh, SourceBoxProductions.com. I'll link it in the show notes. He's got a series there that, uh, because I know Phil, uh, Philip, I got in on the, uh, beta testing and it was one of the last mm-hmm. series I got to teach at my last church called Survival Kit. And, uh, it was all how to survive in the Christian life, you know, with the Bible and, and, uh, and I don't want to give too much of it away, but the videos that Philip made are really fun. Uh, they've got the right balance of some scripture and talking seriously, um, and, and sound effects and just great humor. Uh, the, the opening video, the kids loved, and then he, he does this character. And then at the end, he kind of gets the funny stuff off and just does the heart to heart, which has always kind of been my style, um, where I love to be the character, but then just be me. You know, and, and yeah. share the word. So um, that's going to be available. And you can see those sample videos online if you want to see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I saw those there. And then you've got another series that you're working on, uh, something with to do with the kingdom of God and its conflict. Yeah, kingdom with, living. Kingdom living. Yeah, so, so check out Sourcebox between this world and the next. Sourceboxproductions.com. Uh, if you're listening to this right when it comes out, um, it may not be available yet, but many people listen to these podcasts uh, later. So you listen to this a year from now. Uh, there may be more than two series there, but definitely uh, check those out. Um, I want to give a recruiting tip on every uh, interview that I do. And uh, so far, everyone's had a different uh, idea. And I loved uh, what you put out when I kind of emailed you in advance. Uh, what's your recruiting tip? And I love this. Uh, I actually learned this from the adult leaders, not the kids' leaders. Uh, this was a, a tip that I got from my staff at my church, and that's recruit busy and successful people. Uh, I think it's a mistaken assumption that people uh, with busy schedules don't have time to volunteer, and really it's quite the opposite. Busy people know how to manage their time. And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about the person who already volunteers in three or four different ministries in the church. I'm talking about the board members, the CEOs, the business owners, and, and those people that haven't yet plugged into too many volunteer responsibilities yet. Now, maybe the other ministry leaders are saying, oh, whether they're busy, they, they own their own business, they work 60 hours a week, but uh, they, they are the people that know how to manage their time and, and know how to manage it well. They're responsible people who understand commitment and understand yeah. follow-through and understand how much work it takes to accomplish something of use. And they, they know how to communicate... So, yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. so often uh, we, we will say kids ministry is the most important ministry in the church in the right context. Every ministry is important. But then why don't we have the boldness then to go after the best? And Oh, uh, yeah. I have board members teaching uh, classrooms of boys in my cur- ch- current church. And it's like, yeah, the board members are teaching a classroom of of uh, 11 boys on Wednesday night. It's, it's yeah, one of, one of my go best, after those busy people. One of my best volunteers was a fellow who, he, he, he was an orthopedic surgeon. You talk about busy and professional. 
And I had him come on a Wednesday night just to talk about surgery and how God made the human body. And he loved that. And so then he said, well, can I just come again? And he became a listener. He moved up to Boys Club Director. And then when it came time that we needed that top commander position for Mm -hmm. for our WANA club, um, he came to me and said, I want to do this, um, but I'm going to have to take a day off of surgeries uh, a week and uh, a month. Yeah, no, every week so that I can give the club what it deserves, which was like a 20% pay cut for him. And, uh, and, and he shared that because we went a long yeah. time looking and he was waiting to see if someone else would step up. And we got to the point of canceling the club because we didn't have a leader. That's when he said, Hey, now I know it's me. Um, but he sacrificed professionally, even his income uh, to do that club. And can you imagine having a surgeon as a ministry leader? Talk about surgical yeah. precision, thinking things <laughs> through, asking the right questions. Um, and he was in that role for several years and, and then eventually he got tapped to be the chairman of the elder board. Um, because I think they saw that I had snagged a pretty good guy and he was a board member of Kidology for many years. So go after the busy ones, go after the best, do it with boldness. Yeah, either that or steal from the choir. I mean, how many, how many baritones does the choir really need, right? <laughs> exactly. Hopefully no worship pastors are listening. All right. The other rapid fire question is what would be a tip that you would give a newbie. They're brand new in kids ministry, so they're hogging everything up. They're listening to podcasts. Um, what What's something they need to do or not overlook? Well, if they're listening to the podcast, they're on the right track. But my my advice to new new children's pastors is always to get get connected with other children's pastors. Don't do it alone. If there's other children's pastors in your community, connect with them. If there's a children's pastor networks within your denomination. Connect with them. There's other children's ministry networks online, you know, International Network of Children's Ministry or, or Kids Matter or Kidology. They, they all have a See network of children's there's, pastors there's so to many connect. Places. Yeah, and all those places are just opportunities for you to do life with people. It's, it's, it's hard to go into battle without, you know, somebody by your side doing the same thing you're doing. And you yeah, get exactly. ideas, you get inspired, and you get encouraged. And when you're discouraged or have questions, you can ask people who are involved in doing it. And so get get plugged into a relationship with other children's pastors. And most of them, you just give them an email, a call, they would love to get together with you. They would yeah. love to have a bi-monthly meeting or something yeah, in the coffee shop. Yeah, there's not a network, start one. And don't be overwhelmed like you're starting some big official thing. You can call yeah. two friends and say, could we get together for coffee once a month? And, and just, we don't even have to talk ministry. It, even just, how can I pray for you, you know, and just, mm-hmm. it, it's so valuable. Hey, if you're listening to this and you like Kidology, make sure you sign up for our Kidology Facebook group. I know there's a ton of Facebook groups out there. I'm I'm in a bunch of them too. What's unique about our group is that not only can you ask questions and stuff like that, but we're regularly posting things that are buried in the bowels of Kidology. We have over 25,000 resources, so uh, we're constantly posting. You may not have known about this or you may not have known about that, so um, it's not just another discussion group. It's a great place to find things. And then if you're a woman listening to this and you're kind of starving for relationship, uh, we just announced that we have started an unconference for women in ministry. Yosemite Summit's full, guys, so uh, for this year, sorry about that, but the ladies have been bugging me for a long time. It's called Breathe. Breathe, right? And um, <laughs> it's going to be this fall. Um, I expect it to fill up quickly. We already have registrations coming in. So be sure to go to kidology.org slash breathe, uh, B-R-E-A-T-H-E, and um, get connected. You'll make some lifelong friends on this retreat. We've partnered with some gals from a ministry called Be Still, Be Free, and you can check out Be Free 
uh, bestillbefree.com to learn. They have a podcast that's specifically uh, for women um, in ministry. So I always end with a Star Wars question, and I, I do know, I know you're more of a Doctor Who guy. Um, yeah. But, but uh, you got any, yeah. <laughs> See, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but it's very cool. I have my lightsaber. Here we go. Here I got my, my Luke. Uh, this is only for people who are li- watching this on uh, the YouTube version. I got my Star Wars toys around too. So, yeah, uh, this is these are all my sonic screwdrivers. Oh man! <laughs> See, and I haven't gotten into Doctor Who. I'm not anti. I just only can handle so many hobbies. And if I get into that, if it's as good as you and other people say, then I'll start buying toys and DVDs. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm you, don't, like, you don't need that. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of holding holding off on the Doctor Who. Uh, but here's here's my question for you. So. George Lucas, he sold Star Wars to Disney for $4.4 billion. Is is that the best thing that's ever happened to Star Wars, or is it the worst thing? (laughs) I think the fact that Disney owns uh, Star Wars and knows it's a cash cow, now at the very least we're going to get more Star Wars movies. Uh, George Lucas liked to drag his feet for a couple of decades before we'd get another episode. And uh, so I think we're going to get more movies, which is a good thing. But the merchandising is getting a little bit much. <laughs> yeah, I, I've <laughs> been taking uh, pictures Disney's all of... about pump, pump things into the toy stores. Well, and it's funny. I'll, you'll be in the grocery store, and there's like Star Wars potato chips and Star Wars tomato soup. And st- I've been taking yeah. pictures of why. <laughs> is, you think I'm going to buy, pay a dollar more for my soup because Darth Vader's on the can, you know. Um, but, hey, it, it works, you know. So um, that's funny. I, you know, Rogue One just came out on my on my wife's birthday this month. So um, I surprised her by buying her Rogue One and set up a big screen and my projector in the basement. We had a movie night. She was a little. I did get her something else, but uh, she was kind of chuckling because she feels like that was a little more for me and Luke. Um, yes, my son's name is <laughs> Luke, so I can say every day, Luke, I'm your father. It is your destiny, especially at bedtime. It is bedtime, my son. It is useless to resist. So, uh, well, well, great. Well, Philip, this has been so fun to have you uh, on the podcast. Uh, definitely a guy you want to connect with. Um, and if you ever get a chance to meet him, you'll just right away you'll enjoy having a Kidman uh, conversation as well. Well, this wraps up our episode. I'm going to put in the show notes a link to the Kid Church Cookbook, uh, the sixth episode that's all about kids crew i'll link to uh phillips uh resources that he has online and how you connect with him remember this show is your show i'm here to serve you so i'm not looking for celebrity children's pastors to interview i'm looking for just good children's pastors directors children's ministry professionals who love kids love the lord love serving them so if you've got a suggestion for someone that I need to have on the show, let me know. You can reach me, Carl, at KidmanTalk.com. If you tweet, at Kidologist or at KidmanTalk will go to me. And I look forward to uh, any communication from you always makes my day. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>